2: Welcome along to the latest sports Italian football podcast. Um, I'm sure many of you were greeted by Nick dancing in the corner, um, as ever. I'm Connor Clancy. I'm joined by Nicholas Carroll. Nick, how's everything?
0: Um, yeah, not too bad. Connor, always happy to be back talking. Talking about Serie. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> like, did you not learn last week? When that happened? I did exactly the same thing last week. There you go. Um, just, uh, if, if you don't mind, just a quick shout-out to um, all the Australians and New Zealanders out there. It's uh, If you're probably listening, it's the 25th um, of April, which is ANZAC Day, so uh, just, like, to myself and possibly, I guess, on behalf of FIF, pay our respects to all the diggers and all the um, soldiers who put their lives on the line for um, their respective countries, not only in World War One but across all the wars, so...
2: It's a a special Australian theme today. We've got Vito Doria also joining us for the second time in only a couple of weeks. Vito, welcome back.
3: Yeah, thanks, Connor. Yeah, it, it had been such a long time since I was on previously, so it's good to be back on uh, this time around.
2: Yeah, we promised we'd get you back on soon, and we're we're true to our word. If anything else, um, right? So I suppose we'll kick things off with Juventus. Start at the top. Um, but to be honest, I was thinking about this before we came on air and I don't really know what there is to say about Juve because what can we say when discussing Juventus in a Serie A context? They, they're head and shoulders above the rest. They smashed Genoa 4-0. Um, Nick, to kind of put you in a good mood, give us some of your best Juve loving, please.
0: Yeah, I guess it's almost when we when we do the pod every week, It's we do maybe brush over Juve a bit because... You know, it's the same old with them and um, yeah, I guess a lot of more of the competition in the table is further down the table. So, um, you know, which is understandable, but I guess it's, it's probably time we do pay them a bit of praise because, I mean, not only from the Barcelona match, but the way they've been going about them themselves on the pitch both between the Champions League, well, at the Champions League by knocking out Barcelona, but then the way they're just going about their business in City. Um, in the meantime, just I mean, really, it looks like they're almost in second gear. But the the professionalism they show during the match, it's it's quite incredible. The the level that they're playing at. Um, I mean, it's more than a weekly basis. They're doing it what every three to four days. Um, when you take into consideration City. Uh, the Champions League and going back to the Coppa Italia tie against Napoli. So um, you got to respect the, the way that team's gone about it. A big um, credit goes to Allegri for that, obviously. Um, the way I guess he's gone about this whole season, uh, you know, it hasn't been straightforward to him and it's been a huge transition with that team obviously Paul Pogba believing before the start of the season Pjanic coming in Gonzalo Higuaín coming in but then actually changing that iconic back 3 which at the time you know we we spoke about it and there was so much speculation about that changing to the back 4 and was it right was he doing the right thing or should he stick with what they know and you know but he's he's proved that he knew exactly what he was doing that 4-2-3-1 system has worked incredibly and they just um, continue to go about their business. Um, they're a professional outfit. They continue to outdo the the rest of CETIAR clubs in that aspect. And I guess looking at how they're, well, I mean, they're solely representing CETIAR and they have been for, let's be honest, the last you know three or four years in Europe. So it's kind of times like this when I think that, the clubs, well, the city, our community in general, maybe should stop um, should stop criticizing and um, blaming, you know, the UVA for this and that, or the refs and all that. But actually, looking at them and seeing how they can kind of lift themselves to be at their level because they're just so far ahead of anyone else.
2: Yeah, I think that we do kind of forget that um, because. It's kind of it's not all that interesting to talk about them all the time because you're just heaping praise on them and yeah. that in itself is testament to just how good they are and you're, I think you're right to mention Allegri because he often comes under some unfair criticism even from back when he was at Milan and um, he's had some problems to deal with this year with Benucci and Di seemingly on a personal level and if you look at what Benucci has done since that infamous confrontation on the touchline when he then was banned from the Champions League game, and then the Dybala thing where he didn't shake his hand, but it just brushed it aside and got on as professionally as ever. Vito, you actually wrote about Juventus for us recently, um, particularly their defence. So have you any thoughts on Juve just uh, as a general topic of conversation rather than focusing on the Genoa
3: game? Well, about the Genoa game, at least I thought they play with a greater fluidity than... Usual, And even once once it went to 4-0, I saw that they played uh, with a great intention to score more goals. I mean, even the likes of Bazzelli, Storaro and a few others, they were going to go for shots as well. So that was quite interesting. But if we talk about Juventus in a general sense and in all competitions, I think this time they've got the balance right and Allegri... <laughs> He had been doing some tactical experiments early on in the season and I wrote about uh, when Genoa bet them 3-1 early on and how that was all muddled up, how Allegri was doing too many changes. But this time, with the team fit as well, he's got the balance right. And as Nick touched earlier, that four two three one is really working for them both defensively and offensively.
2: One of the things, when before you were writing the article, I spoke to you briefly about the defence and we are kind of comparing it to previous great defences. One thing that I've noticed is recently, Andre Barzali keeps coming on um, in the big games to change from a back four to a back three. But normally, you know when you see a substitute come on and it means there's a tactical change, there's all these orders being dished out from the coach or the player coming on. When Barzali comes on... Every time, nothing is said. Everyone just goes, all right, we know what we're doing and everyone's in the position. And it's just, it really does speak a lot of how well-drilled they are. Um, Nick, you wanted to talk about
0: Leonardo Bonucci's own goal, didn't you? Or his goal. His, his goal. Oh, I, I just thought it was worth a mention. That was, I mean, he had, well, it was like 10 minutes after he had a goal disallowed, I think, for a foul in the box. And then he goes and runs half the field, um, right. beats a player and then loops it over the keeper. That was... That was just incredible. If you have not watched it, go on YouTube or whatever highlights it is and have a look because do yourself a favour. It's a great goal. Yeah, would you?
3: Oh, I totally agree. Um, not only was it a great run from halfway, but I was reading the match reports in La Gazzetta de la Sport and one of the writers there called it a Bonnenbauer goal, so basically combining Bonucci's surname and Franz Beckenbauer's one So I thought, okay, a tad exaggerated, but you could see the style comparisons there, Mm. just that graceful run from his defensive line and then, of course, to just basically waltz through the midfield and score in that manner it was very impressive.
2: Yeah, that's definitely high praise, but that's one of the things we've come so used to seeing from Benucci, isn't it? He's absolutely brilliant on the ball. He's as comfortable as most midfielders would aspire to be. Um, Nick, where would you rank... Benucci in terms of world's best central defenders.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I, I might be a, a little bit biased given that I watch more Italian football than anything else. But to, uh, you know, you've put me on the spot. But to my mind, I can't think of anyone that. He, to me, he would be the number one. Yeah, I, mean, I think he I probably has we'll been the last two best. seasons, at least.
2: Yeah. So uh, we'll move on now, and we'll stay. In the top three, um, Napoli slipped up, didn't they? They drew two-two away at Sassuolo. Mm-hmm. Who Sassuolo that is haven't actually been that great this year. I know a lot of people came accustomed came to like them over the last few seasons, and they've been really enjoyable. But this year, they've not quite been themselves. Um, Vito, what happened to Napoli here?
3: Well, they met a Sassuolo side that uh, showed that on the day they can still be a rather formidable unit. And by the same token, Napoli showed that sometimes when they have an off day, um, they don't play with the same fluidity as they've become accustomed to. I reckon Di Francesco actually got his defensive set up right. A lot of people consider him to be a disciple of Zeman, but he's not as... uh, Naive as his mentor in the defensive phase, and it showed against Napoli because I thought most of the time it was like Sassuolo's back four. They were rather tight, and Paulo Cannavaro, he he showed that he had uh, no, he not he's got great experience, but his awareness and anticipation, despite his age, was uh, quite impressive. And I think uh, he was one of the differences between Sassuolo getting three points or being uh, another recipient of a uh, Napoli hiding.
2: Yeah, well, if we're going to look at Napoli here. Um, Eric Milik scored. I, one of the first goals, if not the first, since he's come back from injury. Nick, how important do you think his comeback is? I know Merkman's has been brilliant and there was that stat last week about how they're the only team in the top five leagues who have four or more players on 10 or more goals or something. But, um, yeah, Milik coming back is surely a huge boost, right?
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I guess his, his presence was possibly felt a bit less because of the incredible form of Threes Mertens, who has filled in in that centre-forward role um, in an amazing way. So possibly his importance at the the start of the season maybe has been overlooked since then somewhat because of that. But, no, it's 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 really good to see him back on the score sheet. I mean, it wasn't his greatest... Um, goal ever, let's say it was a bit of a scrappy goal. But um yeah, as you mentioned, it was it was his first goal back from from injury. It was his first A goal since the 17th of September in their um Napoli's 3-1 win over Bologna. And I think he got a brace on that day. He did get a brace on that day. So um good to see him back on the score sheet. And I guess it goes to that whole element of Napoli and their depth where it has been an element where they have struggled with in previous seasons. And in a lot of ways, Sari has been questioned, I guess, about his reluctance to use um, players beyond that starting 11. So it's good to see Sari trying to bring him in a bit more into that team again because I think he can be a very important part of that team, even if he isn't um, necessarily picked in that starting 11 because he can provide something very different to Dries Mertens. Um, I think, actually, Mertens scored a header um, on the weekend, but it's very rare that he would score a header. And Milik does provide that kind of aerial threat. And you think back to those games against Juventus where those crosses were coming in. Mind you, they they were pretty shocking crosses at times, but they were putting these crosses in to these guys, you know, Insigne or Dries Mertens, five-foot guys who are just uh, trying to jump against Chiellini or something. It's just obviously not going to work. So he just provides sorry a- another option in attack, and I guess Pavoletti as well is there in, in the background, which he's kind of been forgotten about. But, um, you know, we've seen what Milik can do, importantly, in Serie A, so it's good to see him back, and it would be good to see him brought more into that team because I think the more Sarri can bring in these French players into the team, the likes of not only Milik in attack, but the likes of Rog, um, Diwara in midfield, those youngsters coming through. They can really build a squad that can actually challenge for Europe and hopefully for a Scudetto in, in seasons to come.
2: And Nick, what about the rest of the season? You've been very, very, very vocal and very keen to remind us how you keep tipping Napoli for second place. they know. Four points behind Roma, who of course won tonight. Is it? Is that that done?
0: No, I'm, I, it was a setback. I'll give you that, but I'm not giving up hope just yet. Um, Napoli do have. I'm fairly sure they have. Uh, well, they have Inter um, coming up, but after that, they do have That's a better not a
2: run. game though at the well,
0: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well i should say that's a three guaranteed three points for napoli so no but they they do have a, a somewhat of an easier run than roma so it it is roma's to lose, to lose make no mistake and given the way they kind of go in about their business on most of the occasions with the odd kind of deflating game they should they should get a second place so yeah i i, I might have to concede to that one. So.
2: <laughs> right, before we get to the, well, exciting for everyone else, but depressing for you, Nick, Well, look at Roma. They won brilliantly tonight, Fido. Do you want to talk us through what happened there? I happened to miss the game, I'm sure. A lot of the listeners might have had to miss it as well. So, bring us up to date there.
3: Yeah, well, it was a rather comprehensive win for Roma, so it was a rather routine performance for them. They, they, yeah, just destroyed Pescara and the thing that really set them up was that near the end of the first half they got two goals in the space of two minutes. El Shirari, who usually doesn't start for Roma, managed to get three assists, so I thought that was a pretty good performance uh, from him and well, most of the big-name squads, so that was a, another good win for Roma and should put them in good stead to maintain that second place.
2: Yeah, is this the difference? I know Roma are kind of a bit of a joke figure historically for being, they, they tend to bottle things and slip up when they really shouldn't. But they beat Pescara comfortably, which other teams haven't quite done this year. Is this the difference between Roma and the likes of um, Milan? Did The Milan clubs, basically, Nick, what do you think?
0: Sorry, was that to me? Yes, you're Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I think we discussed it maybe last week or a week before that Roma is becoming more of a consistent team and less of it the kind of butt of the joke almost as you kind of alluded to um and that's why I think I think it was last week when we were saying it's um it's not necessarily a bad season for them even if they were to finish third because they've 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 become an incredibly more consistent team and they're they're getting rid of that kind of um I don't know that almost that attitudinal or that 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 ability of them to just bottle it kind of in certain games, which they can still kind of do. But I think um Spilletti's done a good job, Luciana has done a good job in trying to coach that out of them and building this new kind of team with belief in themselves, which to be honest, I think has been a huge thing for Roma that belief that they can actually compete at the highest level in Serie and compete against a Juventus for a Scudetto. I'm not sure in previous seasons the players really believed that they were up there and that kind of showed a lot of the time. So they're more consistent, um, they're a lot more clinical and their defence has, you know, somehow put it together. A lot of us doubted that defence doing much this season, but, you know, to their credit and to Spalletti's credit, they put it up together. So, um, yeah, they basically put the likes of, well, you mentioned the Milan clubs, they put them to shame, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, um, right. You mentioned that Roma have strengthened their defence this year and two teams who definitely didn't have their best defensive performances this weekend were Fiorentina and Inter, where it finished five... Four to La Viola. Yes, five, four. Um, I don't really know where to start with this game, but Nick, you wanted 30 seconds on Inter, so here's your 30 seconds.
0: Well, to be honest, the 30 seconds is to basically say that, you know, we've discussed Inter quite a bit on the pod this season, and it's not particularly because I happen to be an Inter fan. It's because the club... In, in being somewhat of a circus the last couple of seasons seems to always be in the news. So there's always something to talk about. But to be honest, off the back of that game, I, do, I don't think we should be talking about a team that where the players just simply don't have the attitude, they're not putting the effort in. Um, you know, it's I would much rather speak about a team, uh, you know, a Crotone or even an Empoli who are scrapping at the bottom of the table, but are actually putting in effort and playing for the emblem that's on their badge uh, on their um, heart, because that that Inter term is just a, a joke at the moment. And I think everyone, including myself, is sick of hearing about them and talking about them. So let's talk about Fiorentina instead.
2: Yeah, I'm absolutely sick of talking about Inter this year, to be honest. Because yeah, <laughs> it's it's a circus, it's a mess, but. They were doing well for a while. now. they're not. So let's talk about Fiorentina. Because to be fair, we've given them a fair bit of stick on this podcast. But these last couple of weeks, they've shown some good signs. I know they didn't beat Empoli, which was a bit funny. But um, that's a good win for them. Um, Vito, I'll bring you back in. What do you think about Fiorentina's chances now of pushing on and getting maybe a Europa League place? They're now one point off Inter and three behind Milan. And neither of those sides are consistent. Do you think they have a chance?
3: I reckon Fiorentina has a chance and it's only on the basis of the Milanese clubs being so inconsistent. They just do not have much stability in terms of form now and the consistency of the performances is no longer there anymore. So I think at least with Fiorentina, they do have the attacking prowess and as they showed on the weekend... They managed to score goals without Nikola Kalinic, who didn't play. Instead, it was Kuma Babaka who was up front, and even Matisse Vecino. He scored two goals from midfield, so that's pretty good as well. Another thing, too, is Bernardeschi missed the penalty. So if he's missing a penalty and he wasn't among the five goals, uh, it goes to show that Paulo Souza has some decent contributors. So for the next five rounds, if the other players can do their own contributions, play their roles and so forth, they can make a difference for Fiorentina getting that sixth place.
2: Definitely. Nick, you were keen to talk about Fiorentina, so there's your chance to talk about Fiorentina.
0: Oh, well, I mean, it was mainly just to deflect off Inter because I'm, I'm sick of talking about that. <laughs> They're just awful. No, but, I mean... I kind of flowing off the back of what we said last week, that you know, I really do believe there's something in this Fiorentina outfit, mostly from midfield to their attack. There's a lot of potential there, and you, you do see glimpses of it every now and then. It's just, it's, it's, it seems like the cogs aren't quite moving consistently um, with, with the viola at the moment, which I guess is why you you do speculate where the Palo Sosa should be there next season. But when you look at their form, I mean, it's not actually that bad. Putting aside obviously their loss to Empoli last week, their their only losses what this whole year in in Serie A have been to AC Milan and Roma, and that's it. And then Empoli last week, so they they haven't been winning that much, but they haven't been losing as well. So, and the big thing with Fiorentina remains that defense, and I guess that was another aspect that was. Um, illustrated on the weekend, where you know I get you can possibly excuse them at five-two up um, for possibly turning off a bit, but I mean Inter shouldn't have got. Mind you, they were great finishes by Icardi, but Inter shouldn't have got those goals that easily. Um, and their defense is it's it, it is a problem because they're not. I mean, they don't have a full a full list of center backs playing there. They're still playing, you know, San, the likes of Sanchez there, so. They do need to um, strengthen that team. But, um, no, in, in attack, it's they have struggled in attack to get inside the box. They seemingly didn't have a problem against Inter. Um, but I, it, it was good to see Kumar Babacar um, up amongst the goals. That I think it was his first goal where um, he was just up against Medellin. He just kind of um, stopped and just almost passed it into the corner, um, Past Handanovic, it was just... It, it was quite. It was really nice. It um, you know, it wasn't the hardest shot, but it was just beautifully placed. Um, a great little play, and I've, I've always kind of wondered this this whole thing with Babacar because with Kalinich, I'll admit I'm not his biggest fan, and you know maybe you guys have some um, some opinions about this, and I'd be interested in any listeners because I know um, there was there is quite a few Fiorentina fans out there that listen, so. Um, Babacar I've I've always found him to be a lot more consistent it seems like he doesn't get a lot of game time but when he does get time uh, on the field he seems to do the job a lot more consistently than Nikola Kalinich, who I do believe is more has more all-around talent than Babacar but he seems to have periods and long periods where he just doesn't quite get it together and get the finishes that he needs uh, I actually looked at the stats to actually see how it actually how they weigh up against each other. So this season alone, uh, Nikola Kalanich averages a goal every 164 minutes. Kumar Babakar averages a goal every 111 minutes. So that's 53 minutes difference, less than that Babakar scoring a goal. And I thought, okay, I'll go back another season. So I went back to last season's just the CDR. Um, f- 2015 16, when you remember when um, Kalinich went on that incredible run at the start of the season, uh, and then the rest of the season kind of just went into a dip. So, the total season he averaged a goal every 214 minutes, and again, Babakar averaged a goal every 160 minutes, so 54 minutes again, that less that he was scoring a goal on average. So, I would like to know if uh, what the people out there think or what you guys think if. How does Babacar kind of fit? Because to me, he's always been more efficient as a striker for Fiorentina. And, you know, when there was a lot of talk about Kalinic possibly going for, you know, a a number like €40 million or something, that's why at the time I kind of thought, well, they should really take this and invest it in the team, you know, in some defence because I just don't think Kalinic is that consistent striker that the Viola really need.
2: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you there. I've always rated Babacar but been a bit frustrated because he, he's never quite convinced me but I don't know if this is just something that I've made up but he always seems to do better at the end of seasons again I'm going to look into that because it's something mm. that seems to be in my head and it could be completely nonsense but uh, Roberto Beswick, Beswick has joined us in the comments so um, do join if you have any comments on Fiorentina or anybody else we've discussed or are going to go on to discuss let us know your thoughts Ask us your questions. There was a lot of interaction going on there last week, and it was it was great. Helped us move things along quite nicely. But um, yeah, I think we'll move on from that Fiorentina intergame now to Milan Empoli. Believe it or not, we had a few Milan fans getting onto us asking to talk about the Rossoneri. And to be honest, I don't know why they want us to talk about them <laughs> this week, <laughs> because after fighting back in the derby so heroically last week, they went and embarrassed themselves by losing to Empoli, the mighty force at the foot. Not quite at the foot, but they're down there. Um,
0: Two in a row for Empoli. They're
2: on fire. Um, yeah, I, it's a bit annoying for Quitone, but we'll get on to that. Yeah. Uh, Vito, have you any thoughts on Milan? Why isn't it going to plan there?
3: When I look at AC Milan's midfield, I don't think it's uh, at the best, to be honest. That's really a second-fringe... Market. When you look at it, because they had no Kutzka going midfield, and of course Bonaventura has had his long-term injury, so he's a huge loss for them. Locatelli had a top start to the season, but this time he's not playing as much just as the season comes to a close. So I don't think the midfield's really up to scratch. And the forward line played too much as individuals. So I hardly saw Suzo and Dulafeu combining with Lapadula. But in saying that, I think uh, praise should be given to Empoli because at the back end of the season, they know that they can still get dragged into the relegation battle, but they're winning crucial games. And it goes to show if you have the right work ethic and you have good organisation, you can still get results.
2: Yeah, do you want to talk about Empoli for a bit then, Nick? Because this is crazy. Where where has this run come from? Just as Crotone have started to put together a few wins as well. And their form, you could argue, deserves to keep them up. But Empoli, to be fair, are grinding out the results when it matters, despite not scoring goals all season.
0: Yeah, I guess it kind of goes to that whole point that I mentioned about Inter. You kind of want to speak about teams that are playing with heart and you know, granted, Empoli don't have the the greatest squad or talent, but you know they they're not. I mean, even strategically, they don't play the most advanced game. But you know, they, they play with heart, and that's the you know the only reason you're going to get wins, back to back wins away from Fiorentina and AC Milan. You know, that's that's impressive for an Empoli, that a team that hadn't what had scored a ridiculous amount of goals, and by that I mean like barely any in like 10 or so matches. So, um, you know, yeah, all credit to Empoli. They're they're fighting, um, fighting for their lives. They saw Crotone coming up. So, um, you know, I I, I don't know if I would have much to um, analyse in terms of their style of play. But, um, you know, the difference in that game, I guess, you look at the, um, you can almost see it in the shot count. They were more efficient. Milan had 28 shots. And only twelve of those on target. Empoli had eleven shots total, and seven of those on target. And then that's how you get a two-one scoreline. So, you know, they took their chances a lot better. They were more clinical in front of goal, and that's what happens. And you know, granted, I guess the the big problem remains. And uh, to be honest, it's it's a big problem in Serie A this season. The def- defensive standard has been pretty appalling to be honest um you know you can take Juventus out of that but apart from that it's it's been shocking um for both of those goals that Empoli scored you know you have to say well the, the Empoli's first goal Zapata was just um i mean I i'm not sure what he was doing that was very poor marking off a corner he was behind his man and um you know trying to pull him down from behind and then Empoli's second Zapata and Paletta um just seemed to be, there was no communication. Neither of them knew what each other were doing, and Paletta just seemed to be watching the ball. As um, I think it was Macaroni who headed down and um, just left his man wide open to finish. So their uh, their central defence, Milan, and uh, you know I'm sure every Rossoneri fan is well aware, but it's it's not up to the standard that that it needs to be for a team, um, you know pushing that's supposed to be pushing for for European qualification. So that really needs to be sorted ASAP. I think you're being very harsh on Zapata and Paletta there to expect them to be able
2: to deal with Big Mac is, I mean, nobody on this earth could deal with Big Mac when you've got Massimo Macaroni up front, you've always got a chance. Um, Speaking of goals still, Lazio, they scored about 6,000 the weekend by Smashing Palermo, I think it was 6-2. They scored five goals in 26 minutes, which was a record for Serie A club since 1938. So it just shows how ridiculous that was. But Vito, this is all you. Lazio have been almost breathtaking at times this season.
3: Simone Inzaghi has created a very effective unit. And on the basis of what we saw on the weekend... Uh, they've also proven they can score goals galore. I was happy to see Ciro Immobile score the first two goals because that has taken his tally to 20 goals for the season. And after a few barren spells, after leaving Torino the first time, it's good to see that he's being prolific with the Aquile. And it's also, of course, beneficial for the Italian national team to see him such good form. But, of course, the clear star of this game was Keita Balde. A hat-trick in just five minutes, and it's the fastest in this century from what I've read, and also the fastest by a Lazio player. So that's quite an achievement for the 22-year-old. Another interesting thing is that Lazio have usually gone for uh, bargain buys in the last decade or so, or essentially in the Lotito era, but it was good to see a guy called... Luca creco scored the sixth goal and he was on loan to Avalino earlier this season but he put the icing on the cake and he's only about 21 or 22 years old as well so it's good that Inzaghi has even given some of these younger players a bit of playing time and just try to ease them into the senior squad.
2: Yeah definitely and Lazio look like they're returning to Europe hopefully they make a a better shot at it this time than they did last. They were were unfortunate. Well, not unfortunate to miss out on the Champions League. But um, the one Italian team left in Europe this season is obviously Juventus. The Champions League draw was made. They've got Monaco in the semi-finals. Um, How do you rate their chances there, Nick? Um, I know I thought the only team they needed to avoid was Atletico Madrid, and they've done that. So, favourites to go through to the final?
0: Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, it was the easiest of. I mean, you know, with all due respect, I think it was the the easiest of the draw, um, the teams that they could have drawn. Though, in saying that, I mean, that Juventus team really on form are the favourites to take out the Champions League, um, in my opinion, anyway. Because, you know, I guess following on from what we discussed earlier, they're just so far ahead of anyone else, and um, you know, I think. Really, if they continue on this form and they take out the Champions League, I think it's it's a very fair statement to say that they are the best team in the world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone, most people would probably confidently say that they're top three now. Um, I, I don't think you could pick another three that would be um, above Juventus. So um, it'll be interesting, I guess. Monaco, they obviously shouldn't be taken um, for granted that they're going to get through. I am very interested to see um, the, I guess, the battle between, um, excuse my pronunciation, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but Kylian Mbappe, I think, Mbappe. That's, how you, yeah, I think that's how you say it. Um, I'm really interested to see how he um, goes against the Juventus defence because we all know how how strong that def- that the Neri defence is and he, I guess this is the new wonder boy of uh, European football, so... It'll be this. This this is going to be his biggest test on on an international stage, basically. So, I'm really interested to see how he goes. Um, it would be good to see him, um, you know, possibly grab one or two goals. But um, I, I think I think Juventus, barring a a major breakdown, should get through to the final. And then, uh, yeah, it'll be against one of the Madrid teams. Mbappe is definitely one to
2: watch, but I just worry that Kailani is going to snap him mm. early on. And yeah. I hope, I really hope he doesn't, because Mbappe is <laughs> seems to be an exciting player. Um, Vito, while we have you here, there's something that happened in Serie A this weekend that we can't ignore, and that's Patrick Schick's goal for Sampdoria against Crotone Um, it was Dennis burkamp esque wasn't it? I don't think I'm exaggerating to compare the two.
3: Oh, not at all. I reckon uh, Shik is an amazing talent and that goal in particular showed why he's so highly rated. He'll be 21 this year, so he's still very young and yet he has the technique and the confidence to replicate uh, a similar goal to Bergkamp. I was even talking about it on Twitter a while back that uh, with his frame and height and also his agility, even as a player, you could say he's similar to Bergkamp, but I would even go as as to say his style is similar to Bergkamp's compatriot, Marco van Basten. Mm, just nice that shout. Hot, yeah, massive shout, but just that height and agility and the movement. Uh, I think he's got, yeah, lots of potential. And as people saw from that goal, uh, he's not just some tree trunk or statue. He's got some fine mobility for someone of his height. So... Very impressive to see him score that goal. It's just a shame that uh, some thought he didn't come away with any points after he scored that.
2: Crotone! (laughs) But just for those listeners who haven't seen that, go seek it out. It's worth watching. The ball comes to him about 25 yards from goal and he flicks it to his left but turns to the right around, I think it was um, Crotone's number 13, Gianmarco Ferrari, and got on to the ball on the other side and just, as cool as you like, slotted it in. Um, but then, as you said, Vito Crotone came back. Nick, how are you feeling about the Calabresi side? They're doing well, but Ampli are just pulling away. Ampli, I
0: mean. they're, they're ruining it. They're,
2: <laughs> what are they doing to me? They're ruining everybody's
0: fun. Big Mac hasn't got the memo, obviously. Yeah, there's, there's already another Tuscan team. They can, you know, let the Calabresi stay in there. But, no, it's, um, you know... On the, you know, trying to look positively, it is actually good to see some of these bottom sides actually winning games because there was a long period there when none of them were winning anything. So, you know, it is good and you'd like to see more of these teams developing and being able to cut it in Serie a. You know, I think in all fairness, it is fair to say that, you know, the bottom four teams aren't really at that Serie a level. But, you know, you the only way they're going to experience and develop and build as a club is by playing these kind of teams. So um, they're five points behind now, behind Empoli um, from that the safe zone. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> I held up five there. I don't know if that's what you thought I was talking about. I thought you meant the bottom five really aren't serious. standard with Genoa thrown into the mix as well.
0: Oh, sorry, I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was, I was going to say they do have um, Pescara to play still. Um they're at home to AC Milan actually this weekend and you know, without taking the piss, I you know, if I was a betting man, which I am, I I wouldn't mind getting on a draw for that because or, or a double chance oh. because there would be some value in that. So um I don't know if we have a betting sponsor or anything, but
2: um You know what you've done by saying that? One you've oh, meant Cretonio definitely not gonna get a point. And two, you've just got Milan fans I've but just I won
0: us a betting contract
2: with them. Um, yeah,
0: if there's any potential betting partners out there, do get that. Yeah, based. I can do like a, a weekly, you know, bet of the week or something like that. Value. Value bet, Quartone. There you go. You first. Um, they also have Udinese at home. So I'm not giving up hope just yet, but um, Empoli is not really helping. So I'll have a word to Macaroni.
3: Well, if Empoli's uh, not going to help them out, uh, I think Genoa could actually really? yeah. <laughs> help them out, really. Because if you look at the Serie A table now, okay, Crotone is on 24, Empoli's on 29, Genoa on 30, five rounds left. I'm sure Crotone can uh, make up the margin on um, on Genoa, if not on Empoli, because Genoa are in crisis, and Empoli and Crotone, they're hitting form at the right time, and beating big teams, whereas Genoa, they're an absolute rabble. And you can't <laughs> just blame the absence of Mattia Perin. They are absolute garbage. And as a Sump fan, it would be revenge for six years ago after that mass procession through the middle of Genoa and that mock funeral. But I think it's also punishment for the President Enrico Preziosi for being as unstable as Maurizio Zamparini. So if... Uh, Ivan Urich can't fix up this mess, you never know. Mathematically, Geno could go down unless they have a massive turnaround, which I can't see them happen. And no, I can't see right. that happening because of the spirits and organisation Crotone and Empoli are showing.
2: Vito, Ooh. this is a side to you I have never seen before and I'm really enjoying it. You were
0: just, just dropped a mic on
3: Genoa.
2: Um, okay. This reminds me of a feature that Luca Gumby wrote for us earlier on in the season, and I remember when he oh, wrote it, I okay, saw the headline. I could not stop laughing. And when you were talking about them there again, it just came to mind. The headline was Genoa, no future and nobody's dreaming, which is just sticking a knife in and twisting it and twisting it. And Vito, you just helped them twist another knife in the, the back of the Genoa supporters this season.
0: Do we have many Genoa listeners out there? Um, I hope they're not.
2: Probably Drew. Oh, yeah, Drew Farmer, shout out to you. He's probably the only one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I She's think... a good bloke, though, but other than that, most generous supporters you get them. <laughs> never respect the Doria family.
2: Yeah, Drew, we're sorry if you're listening, but um, this is what happens when you get a Sam fan on the show. They get wild. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Atalanta obviously won again. I'm not going to talk about it too much, but did anybody see the pass Alejandro Gomez played for that Andrea Conti goal? That was the one oh, in the was... second minute, right? Yeah, the one that was about 3 yards oh. offside, but we we won't mention that.
0: Yeah. Where well, was offside, was it? Mm, yeah, clear. Uh, oh, the the pass was the vision of that was poor. Oh. Mm. I can think of another Argentine
2: number 10 who regularly plays passes like that. Can you think of his name? No. Di Or um Leo Messi. Nick, did De- do Nick, did you see the photo we put up on the Forza Italian Football Facebook page today? don't think I did, no. Well, basically, Papu Gomez is back at his online tricks again. Uh Uh, I'm sure you all saw the celebration that Leo Messi did holding up his shirt to the Bernabeu crowd. Well, basically, there was a photoshopped version of Papu Gomez and a clothesline put into that photo. So Papu and Leo are hanging up the washing. It's a, it's a lovely little picture. Get over to the Forza Italian Football Facebook page and take a look at that. Um, obligatory Atalanta and Papa Gomez mentioned out of the way. That'll do it for us this week. Um, Nick, YouTube and Patreon roundup, please. Can I give you a quick stat as well? You love your stats, and I'm never one to turn I do love stats a stat.
0: To I'm, I'm gonna, you stat. Know, I, I spoke about the appalling defence of Setia, but I kind of want to give... <laughs> I oh, going we'll to like
2: mention appalling defence of Genoa there. Genoa, oh,
0: <laughs> <Januar, laughs> shit. <laughs> I just wanted to emphasise. No, no. Um, no, I just wanted to say, you know, on the flip side, there is a lot of exciting talent in Serie um, in A attack, and I don't think it's necessarily because of the appalling defence. I think um, the inc- there's some incredible things happening. Um, so in Serie this season so far, there's six Goal scorers that have reached twenty goals or more, uh, and you compare that to all the other the other major five leagues: uh, the Premier League, La Liga, and League Un all have just two that have gone over twenty, and the Bundesliga has three. Um, so it's huge, huge. Um, I guess I don't know if you call it an achievement, but it's a good stack. Uh, I guess, be you know, I guess a lot of listeners out there probably hear a lot of stick about Italian football and being all defensive and you know it's it's kind of one of those stats that you can use to tell people look actually you know there's some really exciting attacking talent happening in um, Serie A at the moment and it isn't just because of the defence because you look at Andrea Bellotti, Zeko, Mara Akadi, Gonzalo Higuain, Therese Mertens, and Chiro Immobile they are actually all scoring some really nice goals it's not as a, res- as a result of just poor defence. So um, I just thought I'd give some credit to, um, for um, Serie A's. I guess it's it's almost flipped to that perception of a defensive league where it's kind of all about the attack this season.
2: Yeah, it's well-deserved praise because I think it was, it was either last season or the year before um, Serie A actually had the highest goals per game average of any of the top five leagues, but it still gets this defensive and boring <laughs> label stamped on it every time it's mentioned by someone who doesn't watch it but um Nick you've written about Inter or are writing about Inter this week yes
0: go on I have Um, I've done a little piece uh I guess you know somewhat off the back of the frustrations of this week um this week's loss but it's basically around Mara Akadi and I guess characterized by the fact that he got that hat trick in the game against Fiorentina, but he, you know, it, to me, I just, I, that image of him after scoring his hat trick, running back to the halfway line, and just standing there, just shaking his head after scoring a hat trick, and just, you could just see the frustration on his face, just thinking, you know, what, what do I have to do for this team? <laughs> so basically, the, you know, the article is along the lines of in the current state, Inter don't deserve a player like Mara Icardi. So um, please feel free to check that out and uh, let me know what you think. It's, um, you know, it, I haven't held back at all mm. um, in terms of Inter as a club and as a team, but um, I think, you know, putting aside the controversial aspects of Mara Akadi, I think the talent and the potential that he has to be one of the world's best strikers um You know, he he should be at a team that that can, I don't know, foster his development and allow him to grow more because Inter just can't provide that. So give it a read. Yeah, it's worth reading. Um, It's kind
2: of nice being the first person to read your stuff because when you go in on Inter, you really do go in. And it'll be nice to maybe annoy some Inter fans this week because we've had, who have we annoyed? We've annoyed Milan, Juve and Fiorentina, I think,
0: yeah, well, I mean, you know, I've, I often get the, um, you know, saying that, you know, I'm biased towards Inter, but I find that, if anything, I'm probably more harsh on Inter than any other club. <laughs> so that, you know, I'll always try and be subjective. I mean, objective. Oh, my God. Okay. Objective. On. Objective.
2: <laughs> Vito, you wrote about Juventus' defence, which is a good piece and it's worth reading. Listeners, get on it and we will get you on something again in the coming days and that will be going up as ever on ForzaItalianFootball.com. If you like what we do, you like the podcasts, the videos, the articles, you can contribute to us by heading over to Patreon.com forward slash ForzaItalianFootball, where even as little as a dollar or two a month can help us to keep bringing you the best content, imaginable hashtag content. Uh, Vito, let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter.
3: Well... They can uh, find me on Twitter through my handle. So it's at Vito C. Doria. So follow me there. And obviously I retweet my articles, but I also have my own little ramblings about Italian soccer, whether it be Setia, even Setia B, Sump, of course, and maybe the very odd thing about Liga Pro, very odd.
2: Yeah, to be fair, I think Vito is probably the best out of all of us at covering all of the action in some way on his Twitter page. You did mention, say, what did you say, Nick?
3: Oh, I was just
0: going to say, and get some good coverage of the AFL, if anyone, any Aussies out there who are following Vito's. On
3: yeah, <laughs> Being a Brisbane Lions supporter, but even the other teams in the AFL too, um, I still share my two cents, very blunt, honest and direct. That's my thing. <laughs> Um, you did
2: mention Serie B, just we're not going to talk about it, but it's good to see Fodja come from Fodja! back into the second tier of Italian football. So, congratulations to all involved there. Nick, you're not getting the chance to shout out your Twitter handle, but it's at oh. NickZCarol for everyone that wants to know.
0: Twitter dot <laughs> Twitter.com.
2: You can find me at Twitter.com and search for NickZCarol.
0: I have a Facebook follow. page too.
2: Yeah, you can follow Nicholas Carol so he doesn't have to do this every week.
0: Um, I share all my videos. Uh, you can follow us
2: on Twitter, Xeria <laughs> FFC. We also have Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Concalcio on Twitter. I also have a he, Facebook page. He has a Facebook page, where where I, page too. Where I chat to Nick <laughs> Carroll a lot. And yeah, we do a lot of back and forth kind of um, chats. So. We've taken to doing daily messages now, which I uh, quite We good. should actually broadcast them.
0: That would be like a little feature. Mm-hmm.
2: You tried to take one of them to Twitter recently, and I wasn't too pleased. I think yeah. they left. They should be best left private. no it's a work in progress.
0: Well, you know, after you share a bed, there's things to the <laughs>
2: be said. You were going to say something. The first two letters of share. I, you know. <laughs> right, that's it. We've we've rambled on for far too long. Um, all that's left to say now is chat for now.
4: Il nero della notte, il rosso la passione, colori che da sempre sono il mio grande amore. Insieme alla mia mamma sei tutta la mia vita, maledetta insonnia prima di ogni partita. Ecco la mia gente, lo stadio è sempre pieno, ricordi di momenti, di questo amore vero. Adesso noi vogliamo undici leoni, alziamo le bandiere. nonno no. le insegno che intorno per oh. ogni buongiorno se parto se torno okay. domenica pranzo soltanto il contorno e mi adoro, oh. di tutto il colore per tutto l'amore che canto oh. per ogni occasione dei miei rosso meri mi vanto oh. per ogni tifoso fratello fratello mio fianco e non sbando wow. Wow. in forza